Well, good morning. Glad to have you today if you're visiting with us. I uh, want to personally say thanks for coming. We, we're glad that you're here. Um, for the last couple of months, we've been really diligently walking through the book of Luke. I mentioned that earlier during testimony time, and we've been learning about the person of Jesus. And one of the things that we have, we have learned and we've identified over and over again is that Jesus always does what he says he's going to do. As I, I've been praying about uh, this message for, for the last couple of weeks, I felt God urging us to, to hit a pause button on the book of Luke for this morning, and we're going we're gonna to celebrate what is mo- the most significant moment in human history, which is the death and resurrection of Jesus. Um, as we're all aware, it's Easter. If you didn't know, surprise, it's Easter today. Um, and we're going to celebrate Jesus being raised from the dead. There's a few phrases that are often used in Christian circles. Uh, and most of you have probably heard these uh, phrases like, someone's being saved, or they're born again, or salvation, uh, they've been delivered, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And all of those have the same basic sentiment or meaning. Um, they are used to communicate a change that has happened in a person that has forever altered their standing with God. And that's a really, really big deal. Our goal today is to understand what it means to be born again and how that changes our lives while we're here on earth. We talk a lot about what's going to happen one day when we die, and we'll mention that today as well. But what I want to focus on today is two things. One, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, what that means and what it takes. And secondly, what that means for you today and tomorrow and the day after that until you die. Because in our Christian culture, often we talk about getting saved and it's about going to heaven. But today what we want to talk about is the fact that the kingdom of God is here on earth. And we'll, we'll digest that a little bit as we move through. Today we're going to start with a Bible story about a religious leader with a funny name, but a guy who had some really good questions. Today we're going to talk about Nicodemus. If you got your Bible with me, open up to John chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1. He's a religious leader. He's a lot like the ones that we saw in the video today. I love that video, by the way, that opening, ayo, like the best thing ever, right? Today we're going to read this story, and there's a guy who's a religious leader. His name is Nicodemus, and right in verse 1, it's going to tell us that he's a Pharisee. And, and I want to give us a little background on that. If you're not familiar with what a Pharisee is, they are the religious leaders of the time of Jesus, right? And so they're the guys who are supposed to know everything about God. And so this religious leader, let's pick up in verse 1. It says, there's a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs that you do unless God were with him. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can anyone be born when he's old, Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter the mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can these things be? Asked Nicodemus. We see in this passage that Nicodemus goes to Jesus at night. And it quickly becomes obvious that he knows of Jesus. And he's trying to figure out who he is. The the first question that he asks. Yeah, I'm going to identify three questions. The first one is not in the form of the question. But it's obvious that Nicodemus is making an inquiry about something. The first statement that he says is 
uh, in verse 2, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, but no one knows, for no one comes to God and performs these signs you do unless God's with him, right? So he's making an inquiry. He's trying to figure out who are you and what are you about, The second question he asks is pretty clean. He says, how can anybody be born again? And frankly, that's a good question to ask, right? I can understand his confusion on that one. And the third, his final question is, how is all of this possible? All three of these questions are the right kind of questions. They're the very kind of questions that nearly everyone asks of Jesus when they don't know him. As we celebrate what Jesus has done for us today, it would be pertinent that we truly understand the ramifications of Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. So the first question we want to talk about today is, who is Jesus? He is the Son of God. In verse 3, where Jesus answers this inquiry, he's purposely ambiguous. I want to look at that again at verse 3. He says, Jesus replied, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. If you'll remember from the video we watched just a moment ago, when Jesus was arrested and questioned by the religious leaders, they asked him specifically, are you the son of God? And how did they respond to that when he, when he said, I am as you say I am? How did they respond? What happened to Jesus? They had him, yeah, they had him beaten and they had him crucified, right? So Jesus was carefully revealing his nature and answering the questions in a way that Nicodemus could receive it. And I want to I want to pause on that for just a moment because I want us to understand that as God begins to speak into your life, he's always going to do it in a way that you can receive it. His words, born again, as it's translated here in our Bibles, literally means to be conceived from above, to be regenerated. Jesus is telling Nicodemus that he is not from earth. He is from above. And this was a common perception of God in Jewish times. And it is still today. That we here are on earth, but God is above in heaven. In essence, Jesus is saying that he's from above. And unless we are also from above, we cannot see the kingdom of God. We cannot enter the kingdom of God as we are. That is what Jesus is telling Nicodemus to his answer, to his question. Is if you are not from the kingdom, you cannot be in the kingdom. To say it the way we would say it today in in our language is, you can't go to heaven unless you are like God. God loves us as we are, but we cannot be with him until we are made new. Our sin separates us from God, but we are completely unable to do anything about our sin. No matter how hard we try, we can never be from above, right, as God is. Just like you can't change the city that you're born in, right? I was born in Alexandria. I can no more change where I was born today than I can change my spiritual nature. Does that make sense? We, we are born in a place and there is nothing we can do about that physically. Spiritually, we are the same way. We are born in one place and that is separated from God. And there is nothing that we can do to change that. This is why Jesus came. It was to restore us back to God. This process is what we call and what Jesus calls being born again. It is having a new birthplace. And Nicodemus, in response to that, says, how can a person be born again? Which we can all agree is a good question, right? Yes? When we are born again, 
Jesus' perfect life covers us. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Church, if we will allow God, if you will allow God, he will make you a new person with a perfect nature. Jesus came to fix the problem of sin because that is what separates us from God. We talk about this a lot at church, and if you're new with us today, I'm going to hash it out again. But in the beginning, God created Adam and Eve, right? And he said, you can eat from anything in this garden that I've created except from this one tree, the tree of life. But what did Adam and Eve do? They disobeyed God, right? And that disobedience made them imperfect and it separated them from God and through that disobedience sin entered the world and all of us are born in a state of sin and so when Jesus is saying to Nicodemus if you're not from above you can't see the kingdom of God he is identifying the problem that Nicodemus has and the problem that we have that we are born in the wrong place God did not create us to be born in sin he created us to walk with him in perfection just like Adam and Eve had the opportunity to do But there's nothing that we can or should do to prepare ourselves because we cannot change our nature. And I'm saying that specifically that way because it is common in our culture for people to think things like, I need to do X, Y, and Z in order to get myself prepared to be with Jesus. And that is the opposite of the gospel. The gospel is that there is nothing that we can do. Only Jesus can change our nature. Look at what Paul says to his letter to a guy named Titus. This is chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. He said, But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to His mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. He poured out His Spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by His grace, we may become heirs of with the hope of eternal life. If Jesus has done all the work that needs to be done, and God wants to restore our relationship with him, what happens next? Where do we go from there? We've identified the problem, right? We see that there is a solution for it. What's next? Jesus says we must be born again. So how can we be born again? This is another one of Nicodemus's questions, and frankly, it's a really good one. And while Nicodemus is thinking purely physically about this whole situation, Jesus refers to a spiritual rebirth. In the book of Romans, Paul explains the problem and the solution. Look at Romans chapter 5, verses 18 through 19. It says, the problem, or this, this is me saying it, not Romans. The problem is our separation because of Adam and Eve's decision to disobey. Romans chapter 5, verses 18 through 19 says, So then, as one trespass... There is condemnation for everyone. So also through one righteous act, there is justification leading to life for everyone. For just as though one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so also through one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. The perfect obedience of Jesus, his sinless life, is what makes it possible for for us to be able to have this spiritual rebirth. Paul goes on to say in chapter 10, verse 9, that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be born again. If you say it out loud, Jesus is Lord, 
and believe that he was the son of God that was raised from the dead, you will be saved. Can you believe it's that simple? To say it out loud and to believe it in our hearts. And that's all that is required of us to be born again. If we believe and say that Jesus was the son of God and that he died and was raised again, we are reborn. We're no longer separated from God. In fact, Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit then comes and lives inside of every believer. This is one of the most important truths that most people do not understand. That when we become believers, the Spirit lives in us. And that means that God himself lives in us. And in that moment and for the rest of your life here on earth, And beyond, we are living in the kingdom of God. You see, Nicodemus is confused about who this person of Jesus is. When we were watching uh, the video kind of opening up the book of Luke, they talked about how Jesus, when he came to earth, literally was bringing the kingdom of God around Israel with him. Everywhere he went, the kingdom of God was going. And when the Holy Spirit comes and lives in us, wherever we're going, whether it's a car wreck or to meet with a pastor or just going to lunch or going to work, If we are believers and the Spirit of God lives in us, then we are bringing the kingdom of God everywhere we go. But what is the kingdom of God? On the most basic level, we may say that the kingdom of God is present wherever the king is to be found. So God's kingdom is anywhere that God is present. And because the Spirit of God lives in you, the kingdom of God is everywhere that you are. And not only is the Spirit of God with us, but we have also been adopted into his family and are co-heirs with Christ. Look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. He says, For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received a spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit, that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. But church, it gets even better. The kingdom of God is here on earth and it's in heaven. For most of us, our understanding of being in a relationship with God or being religious is about hopefully We think to ourselves, hopefully, one day, if I do enough things right, I'll get to go to heaven. But it's so much more than that. If you're a believer, like we talked about a few minutes ago, you are going to heaven. You can write that down. You can let that settle in your spirit. It's done. If you have confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on the cross in place of for you, for your sins, and then was raised from the dead. If you believe that in your heart and you, and you say it through your mouth, you are going to heaven and you can, that, that's done. Check that off the list. But that doesn't mean that your life is over. In fact, that means life's about to get a whole lot better. Salvation or being born again is not just about something that happens after we die. It's about restoring the kind of relationship that God created us to have with him when he first made Adam and Eve. That means that while we're alive, while we can can feel and touch and taste and love and experience joy, this moment right now, this is what salvation is really for. It's about us while we're being alive, being able to live in relationship with God. 
but not just with God, but also with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And this brings us to the final question that Nicodemus asked, which is, how is all of this possible? Because Nicodemus, remember, lived in a time where the only way to be forgiven with sins was through animal sacrifice. And now Jesus is talking about some stuff that's completely different. And Nicodemus is trying to put the pieces together. But he's saying, based on the information that I have right now, this doesn't make any sense. How, how are you saying that God is able to do this? And it's possible because of the love of God for his people. Jesus explains that a little further down in, in John chapter 3. And it's a verse that we all know by heart most likely. John three sixteen: For God so loved the world. That he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. In church, eternal life does not begin when we die. Eternal life begins when we accept Jesus. This week I've had a song uh, playing on repeat. And it captures how God feels about us. And, and I want to I say this this morning. If you're a believer, if you've given your life to Jesus but you still are living your life trying to always do the right thing because you feel like you have to or you're supposed to, you're doing it wrong. And I, and I want you to receive that with, with a lot of grace and joy because what I want to share with you is that our lives are not meant to try to keep God happy. God's happy with you the way you are right now. We tell our kids all the time and, and we tell the church, there's nothing you can do to make God love you anymore and there's nothing you can do to make God love you any less. He loves you the way that you are. He wants you to be better. He wants you to have a great life. He wants you to experience him. But he's not going to force that on you. And it's not going to change how, we love, how he loves us. If my kids make a mistake, I don't love them less. I just correct them and we keep on going down the road, right? The same is true for us. This song that's been on repeat, the chorus says the following. He says, the, the artist that wrote this says, You are not what you feel. You are not what you've done. You are not all these failures. You are my son. You're not what you feel. You're not what you've done. It doesn't define you. You are my son. This story is taken from the prodigal son. That song is, is called Prodigal by a church called Freedom Church. But this song is a story of the prodigal son that Jesus told. And I want us to read it this morning because I want this to I want this to make an impact on your heart because I want you to see how God sees you. Luke, or John, uh, excuse me, Jesus shares this parable. It's recorded in Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11. He said also, a man had two sons. The younger son said of them, said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country, and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pots that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and he went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was 
filled with compassion, and he ran to him and threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on, and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter, and let's celebrate with a feast, because the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they begin to celebrate. Church, so many of us that grew up in Christian culture are like the prodigal son. We've made mistakes. We have done things that we know that we shouldn't have do, done. And we have this idea in our head that for some reason God is angry with us. Just like the prodigal son who is, who is starving to death and he's longing for the slop that he's feeding the pigs. And, it, and he, he goes, you know what? My father, he's got all the things. I, I, I can't be a son anymore because I've done too much wrong. And so I'm going to go to my father and just ask him to be one of, his, one of his hired men. And we approach God the same way. We look at our lives and we say, I've made all these mistakes and I've done all of this stuff wrong. There's no way God could love me or accept me the way that I am. And so I got I to gotta do some stuff. And so we prepare a speech just like the prodigal son did. And we, we think, okay, God, if I, I, I tell you what, God, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this and this and this. And that's going to write all the wrongs that I've done in my life. And, and we go and we try to present that to God. And, and what God wants you to hear to say is he doesn't care about your speech. He, he cares about you. If, if you've made mistakes in your life, I have made mistakes in life. We all have. And when God looks at us, he is not looking at us the way that we think he is. He is looking at us saying, I, I love you. I am so glad that you've come home to me. Not, well, you know what? You... You made a lot of mistakes, you owe me a lot of money, and we're going to have to work something out so that we can be friends again. That's not how God looks at us. He says, I don't care about this stuff. I don't care about the money. Come home. Let me put a robe on you. Let me put a ring on your finger and sandals on your feet. Let's kill a calf and let's celebrate. That's how God sees us. When we think about Easter, when we think about what Jesus did on the cross, that was not so that God could look on us with condemnation anymore. It's so that God could look at us and not see our sins, but see the perfection of Jesus. And it opens the door for us to just come on in, to sit down at the table and to enjoy the fellowship that God created us to have. Jesus gave his life so that you could live yours with God. Jesus gave his life so that you could live yours with God. God wants us to know him. He wants you to know him today. If you've never started a relationship with God and you'd like to do that, I'd love to talk with you about that. We can make that happen. If you do have a relationship with God and you've been living distance from him because you're ashamed or, or, or feel sorrowful about things that you've done that have separated you from God, today I want this to be a moment where you can come to peace with him and realize that those things don't matter. That God loves you anyway, and he wants to be reunited with you. He is standing and watching for you today, just like the father was watching for the prodigal son. He is waiting with great anticipation for you to just come home. Today we're celebrating all that Jesus has done so that we can return to God just like the prodigal son. We are celebrating all that Jesus has done so that we can experience the relationship that God created us to have where we can literally walk with him through the garden. That's why he created Adam and Eve. That's why he created you. 
And Jesus has done all that is necessary to restore that relationship. God does not want us to walk through life on our own, suffering in silence or struggling or searching for hope. God is calling you by name to come home. Today as we close out in worship, I want to invite you to come down. And if you would like to receive Jesus Christ, I'd be happy to to help you with that process. Or if you just need a moment with God to say, God, I know I've I've done some stuff wrong and I've made all these all these plans about how I'm going to fix it, but I just, I just want you. I want to provide space for that today. Right where you are, you can, you can pray and talk to God and say whatever you need to say to him. But don't let this moment pass. I know we're excited about what's coming after this, especially the kids. But today as we sing for the next three or four minutes, just take a moment to be alone with God, to let the Holy Spirit work in your heart however he needs to. I want you to leave here today realizing that Jesus loves you no matter what. What you have done does not define you. Jesus does. Let's pray. Jesus, I am personally so thankful for the amount of love that you have for me and for all of your children. Father, I ask that today that that if there's a person in this room or in this world that does not know you, Father, I ask that they could have an opportunity to begin that relationship with today, to understand what it means to be loved unconditionally. Father, there are those in this room today who who feel distant from you because of things that they've done, whether they're recent or in their their past. Father, I ask that you would you would melt those things away, Father. Today they would understand and they would come to know the love and the grace that you freely offer to them. Father, I ask that as we celebrate the the mighty work that Jesus did on the cross for all of us, God, I ask that we would have an incredible sense of joy and peace and love as we celebrate the goodness of who you are, as we celebrate the most significant moment in the history of the world. Jesus, we want to just take this time, the next three or four minutes, to say thank you and that we love you. So, Father, I ask that your spirit would move in this place today, Father. I ask that you would touch the hearts of the men and the women and the children in this room, that they would know you in a new way as we worship together. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.